Surprise! It's me! I'm hosting this one. <laughs> Welcome to the Gay Anarchist Yoga and Erotic Cooking Association podcast. I'm Ro, and this week we're talking about my own private Idaho, a Shakespearean tale of gay hustlers doing some real fuckboy shit. Joining me are the two best friends money could buy. I found them in front of an adult film shop in Portland. First up, Diamonds might be a girl's best friend, but she'll settle for cubic zirconium if you have it. It's Amelia! Hi everyone, my name's Amelia, and I'm here today as the one and only Nicolas Cage, a star of such stellar films as Mandy. Um, And I can be found at the Nefarious Navigator on Instagram. And I can, in fact, be bought for a sunny delight and a whole quarter. Thank you very much. (laughs) Is it true that you own a whole-ass dinosaur skeleton, Nicolas Cage? (laughs) It uh, absolutely is true. Um, I actually own several whole dinosaur skeletons. Can you see them, though? Absolutely not. Can you find me the Declaration of Independence? I don't think so. (laughs) And finally, he tried snorting coke once, but the ice cubes kept getting stuck in his nose. It's NATO! Hi. I'm NATO. And it's just so fabulous to be here with my best friend, The Rock. Uh, it's just so nice to have. It's it's so nice to be on a podcast hosted by The Rock. I'm just I'm just so thrilled to be here. I I love I absolutely loved you in Chronicle of Riddick. Um, and, and, and I think that your crowning role was in Night at the Museum. Uh, when so like. Just so thrilled to be here. <laughs> I was not prepared to be like completely and utterly roasted this early in the podcast. <laughs> okay, but can we actually get like a buddy cop film or some shit with The Rock and Nick Cage? <laughs> Make it happen, Hollywood. Make it happen. John Cena can be the bad guy, you know, really throw us for a loop with that one. I'm really worried that the opening this week doesn't have enough impact. (laughs) Rules eyes. (laughs) It's too bad we don't have a whole ass barn to drop from the sky like some people. (laughs) Before we start tearing this movie apart, I need you all to understand that I love this movie. Uh, I've been watching it since college, even though I haven't seen it in a while. It took uh, you since college to my... finish this movie? <laughs> no. <laughs> this movie's <laughs> like an hour and a half long. <laughs> but, like, it brings back memories of, like, really great friends whom I love and miss. So, um... We miss you, too. Be, ge- be gentle. With that being said, spoilies ahead. Although, the main plot of this movie has been around since the 16th century. So if you're mad about spoilies, come fight me about it. <laughs> My Own Private Idaho is about a hustler named Mike who is on a quest to find his mother. He's also super narcoleptic, which makes for some really interesting scene changes. We'll talk about that later. He's also super into Scott, another hustler that has serious daddy money because his daddy is the mayor of Portland. Yeah, mayor of Portland and super, super disappointed in Scott's life choices. After playing a trick 
on Bob, Scott's adopted street father. Mike and Scott steal a motorcycle and head to Idaho for like seven minutes to talk about Mike to talk to Mike's brother about what he knows about their mother. And while they're in Idaho, Mike confesses to Scott, and Scott shuts that shit down fast because he's gay for pay only. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go to Italy for some reason, and Scott finds himself a young Italian girlfriend, and they do it every day in the room above Mike's. <laughs> Mike flies back to Portland, understandably, where he meets up with Bob and his merry band of gays, and when they find out that Scott's father has passed away... They crash a corporate wake to find Scott, and surprise, Scott was a trust fund baby who played Hustler because it was fun and because he had daddy's money to fall back on when the time was right. And the movie ends with two funerals, one of which looked way more fun than the other, and also the flea was there. Uh, the flea from Red Hot Chili Peppers. Uh, yeah, he was there. So, first things first, um, we finally did a Shakespeare movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't Romeo plus Juliet, which really surprises me. <laughs> so this movie is based very, very heavily on uh, Henry the Fourth, which is like a bajillion plays long and part of Shakespeare's least known series of plays or like least done as far as I know, which is the historic plays. So, like, they're great and all, but they're not really what I think of when I think Shakespeare. Um, so, I would like to know, uh, Nato and Amelia, if you had to peg down which aspects of this story were, like, taken beat for beat out of Henry IV, which parts would you think those would be? King Bob. Yeah, King Bob, definitely. <laughs> Um, definitely King Bob, definitely, like, some of the dialogue, like, the way that some of the dialogue was written in particular in the scenes where they're, like, around Bob. Uh, full disclosure, though, I realized while watching this that I have never read King Henry the Fourth Parts 1, 2, whatever, and King Henry the Fifth. Um, and I think I might have seen it at one point because that end scene where he's dying is very familiar, but, yeah, I don't know... If more than, like, general things, Shakespearean-looking things that I could pull from um, so, as far as specific references. I'm, I'm here to tell you that Scott's entire storyline is basically beat-for-beat beat ripped out of a Shakespeare play. Okay. Um, like, um, Scott's dad is King Henry IV. Scott himself is Hal Prince of Wales... Or, or King Henry V, and King Bob is Falstaff. So the entire double robbery scene, um, Scott's plan to ingratiate himself to his father after living life up as a hustler, um, that's all um, like beat for beat out of the play, as well as the ending when Scott rebukes Bob and basically says, though I love you as though you were my father, like never show yourself in front of me again. All that, all that's beat for beat out of Shakespeare. And everything else was based on a, a novel from the 1960s called City of Night. Well, not everything. Um, well, a, a, a 
lot of it was influenced by that. Um, there were other sources included as well, I believe. Yeah, this this movie, the script for this movie is sort of like a Frankenstein of four different scripts that uh, Gus Van Sant had written, um, kind of so, put together. Yeah, and I think along those as those lines, like you can see very clearly by language, like what sort, like what parts are Shakespeare and what parts are not, like everything where Mike is front and center, for instance, is very kind of modern, and the language is completely different, and you you can tell that like, something different is going on. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, I think... Uh, I don't know. I, I don't truly know how I feel like about the script of this movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> I really feel like I should have read King, any of the King Henry plays before. <laughs> I think Mike's a really great character. For me specifically, I know that Mike's based off mm-hmm. like a, a real uh, hustler, Ren Boyer escort um, that uh, Gus Van Sant met. And I believe they're also in this movie, uh, the person that inspired that character. Yeah, um, I think they're in the cafe scene. Yeah, I think he's the the, the blonde-headed guy. Yeah. That also shows up the in beginning. the King Bob scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, this and, is true, and I and I think it's a really, it's a really good role with a lot of complexity, and it's played really well um, by River Phoenix. Yeah, yeah. Um, River Phoenix was given a lot of freedom to um, shape the role of Mike himself. Um, I know Keanu Reeves got really into uh, the novel City of Night. Uh, Gus Van Sant gave them both a copy to study, and like River Phoenix just didn't bother to read it. Like, he he lived such like an interesting and different sort of life, you know, because he wasn't raised around like media, and he's like very far rem- removed from that. And um, you know, and I that, I think that came through really well. Um, in my opinion, um, just watching the movie, I think it was really apparent that River Phoenix was like River, <laughs> River Phoenix was pulling very much from like his own experiences and like kind of his, his own way of living that like he'd had to kind of create for himself, um, given all the the things we know about him and you know the Phoenix family in general. Uh, now, like what thirty years later, <laughs> it's it's kind of weird to think because like I kind of had an expectation that Keanu was going to just like steal this movie, but he actually like it was kind of like uh, it was kind of like the the positive of broke back was like um, Tobey Maguire and uh, Heath Ledger were kind of like trying to like outdo one another, like. And so there was, like, this this energy that, like, bounced between them as they acted off each other. And it's kind of the same thing here. So it's not... So neither one really stole the show, but that's not a 
bad thing because they were both giving really good performances, like back to back, almost like fighting with each other through acting, act fighting. <laughs> That's a thing, right? Sure, it is. Um, <laughs> it's just I'm not okay. So kid. one <laughs> thing that I found really interesting when I was researching this as well is that like we like we are absolutely not alone in like adoring river phoenix in this movie cuz james franco famously took footage from this movie and like recut it into like a a river phoenix like tribute film called my own private river and like as weird as james franco is like couldn't you just imagine him doing some shit like that yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Without a doubt. No question. And I mean, this movie is kind of like, if you're looking for some really interesting footage to pull from a movie, like my own private Idaho is definitely the place you would want to look. This movie looks insane. <laughs> um... Like, they have multiple sex sh scenes shot in, like, still portraiture, where they have everybody yeah. pose, and they'll just hold a position. Like, they don't even, it's not even pictures, because you can see the little micro-movements where they're trying to keep still and, like, adjusting their weight and stuff. Um, but that's really interesting. They just go pose to pose to pose. Uh, there's a that whole scene... <laughs> that scene with Keanu Reeves and uh, the Italian girl, Carmela. Yeah. 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 And also the threesome with the um, with the German guy as well. Oh, yeah. And then there's this scene where they put, like, Scott Major on the cover of a magazine and had him give this whole monologue as the cover of a magazine. And, like, other magazines were, like, around heckling him. Uh... They dropped an entire barn from the sky <laughs> and filmed it. Um, it, was, it was only a model. <laughs> they <laughs> our, first really impressive. our first Monty <laughs> Python uh, quote. <laughs> oh, man. That's great. Um, also, I found this by reading the IMDb page. Um, there is a statue of an elk... That's a real statue that they filmed under in Portland that's still there. But they famously, like, greased up one of their production assistants and painted him gray and, like, sat him on top of the statue so that they could have, like, a person on top of the statue while they filmed. And <laughs> he just sat there holding extremely still. So, like, everything about, like, the look of this movie and the production of this movie is just wild once you start reading about it. Yeah. And I think probably my favorite example of that is the scene at the very end where they have the two funerals, uh, Bob's and uh, Scott's father, and they're right next to each other. And one is like a very prim and proper Christian funeral. And then you just pan over and you see these like gay hustlers like dancing on and like whooping and hollering and like this drug-fueled frenzy on top of Bob's wooden casket. Like, there's a lot about this movie that just looks amazing. Yeah, I agree. I really like that, um, that juxtaposition of, like, the two kind of... 
worlds. Also, just like the fact that that all happened like right after Keanu Reeves was so cold to Bob, like right. It just it just like kind of further like I think you know pushed that that disconnect in you know because while there's this funeral going on here you have Keanu Reeves just that is you know there like this completely different like more a high class funeral I don't know I really like that yeah I really think. I'm kind of in love with the idea that they did it and they decided to do it next to the mayor's funeral just so they could, like, show um, Scott exactly what it was that he was walking away from. Right. <laughs> like, I know NATO has opinions about Bob, and we'll get to that in a bit, but it really, like, <laughs> it really speaks to that scene that they cultivated this idea of like a like a merry band of rogues and whores that bob kind of sat at the front of in his own grumpy way <laughs> <laughs> and nato why don't you like bob <laughs> because it's those scenes are such a waste of time they're completely unnecessary because the information given in them is restated in other scenes later on. The character is not that good, and the time's kind of wasted on them when we could be spending it on other things. You could literally cut out those scenes, and nothing of interest or value. I think it's would interesting that you say that, especially when you consider that like Falstaff is one of the characters that people like immediately think of when they think of the older historic plays. Like, he's such an identifiable character because he's, like, big and grumpy and sassy. And then, um, I kind of... I I don't agree with you, like, so, so much, but, like, I do see how, like, Bob is, like, kind of a grating character. You know what I mean? Um... He's not grading, he's just not good. <laughs> um, like, I, I think that, like, so I, I haven't read, like, the only Shakespeare's plays that I've read are Romeo and Juliet, Macbeth, and Hamlet. Okay? So I... Three very good ones. <laughs> so I'm looking at this purely from the story that is telling, not saying, you know, this is compared to, like, the play it is, because I haven't seen the play, I haven't read the text. So purely from viewing it as just a movie, the character of Bob and the scenes that revolve around him and the focus shift to Bob, specifically taking the shift away from Mike and Scott and developing them further and letting them have moments where they can grow together to make the ultimate end more impactful. Doing all of that is very wasteful to the audience's time, as purely this story being told that is presented to us. And it kind of goes back to the fact, I think, that this project was stitched together from multiple different scripts and sources. Um, it does kind of feel weird that, like, the film focuses on Mike, 
and yet, like, all of the Shakespeare action is happening to Scott. Yeah. And, like, none of it is really about Mike's search for his mother or has anything to do with Idaho. I mean, he's from Idaho, though. Well, yeah, Mike is. Yeah, Mike is. <laughs> but, like it, like I said, all the Shakespeare is happening to Scott. <laughs> Well, I mean that's that's with that's with uh, you know any adaptation is that things are going to change and some characters are going to be more true than others. But you have to like ask yourself like is is Clueless just an adaptation of Jane Austen? Is Oliver and Company like just an adaptation of you know Oliver Twist? It's not so much the fact that the characters have a basis on something previous it's what you do with the characters and i think scott has he, he there's a lot more done with scott right than there is with bob like even the first mickey mouse cartoon was based on you know a, a silent movie by i think buster keaton but we don't talk about steamboat willie the same way we talk about right uh, i think it was like steamboat bill jr or bill so, or something yeah I think it probably would have behooved this movie to be, like, two different movies. I agree. <laughs> like, I, I feel like Scott's whole deal is, is one story, and in that story, Bob fits, right? And in Mike's story, if you want to have a character like Bob, he just needs to fulfill a different role. I guess, like I, I, I stand by if you were that the idea that if we remove Bob from Scott's story, nothing would be lost. Like uh, uh, he's still rebelling against his conservative father by being a rent boy and slipping with guys instead of settling down with a girl. Uh, you'd lose a contrasting father figure, but it's not an essential part because you'd understand Scott's actions through the film based around his relationship with Mike versus his relationship with his family. And how his views shift after he meets a girl that he actually really likes, and the death of his father. Because all the scenes with Bob, all the Bob's world scenes, just, they feel so alien, but not in, like, it doesn't feel like an intentional thing, uh, the tone of them. It just makes it feel like two different movies, and one of them is well thought out, and the other is Bob. Yeah, and I think it really feels like it when you when you watch when you watch My Own Private Idaho, it really does feel like two different movies. Although they did a lot with like visual storytelling to try and like keep continuity between the two stories to make them like visually similar, which I appreciate. But like you, there there is still that disconnect in the writing. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, there, <laughs> and I feel like one story was kind of a little more compelling than the other one, and kind of overshadowed the the other story. Um, like I kind of didn't like the movie didn't grab me fully until like that first scene where we meet Bob, where they're like waking up in the morning with the sirens in the background, and it starts getting like kind of very Shakespearean and like the way they're speaking. Um, 
And then, like, it just, you know, Mike, as compelling of a character as he was, I feel like his story just kind of fell into the background with that. Right. A little bit. He feels like a side character in his own story. Which is kind of sad because, again, River Phoenix, who plays Mike, did an amazing job in this movie. (laughs) Um, Speaking of the production history, uh, have y'all read the IMDb page for this movie? Because it is a trip. (laughs) So according to IMDb... um, River Phoenix, Keanu Reeves, uh, Flea, Michael Parker, and a couple more members of the cast all moved into Gus Van Zandt's uh, house in Portland during the filming, and they caused such a disturbance that Gus Van Zandt had to move out and, like, stay with a friend. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) Like, and the... The I it's the whole page is like filled with stories like this. It's it's wild. <laughs> like the flea who is in it calls it like one of his favorite movies of all time, although he does admit that he might be biased. <laughs> um like a lot of people have really strong feelings about this movie. Um, okay. The next thing I wanna speak of is I think the most important message in this entire movie, which is, uh, be careful, baby gays. Be careful of the allure of the straight boy. For they are alluring. But they do not love you. They do not. (laughs) (laughs) They neither love nor care for you. It will never be. (laughs) Take this from a tragic old gay with experience. The, the biggest lesson to be learned from this movie. <laughs> I would have liked to see, I would have liked to see some different kind of like result or play or like even just, uh, I don't know, maybe resolution or whatever between Keanu Reeves and um, River Phoenix uh, when it comes to that. But I guess that's just kind of like. Oh, absolutely. I don't know. I, I think it would have been a really interesting commentary, maybe, you know, on, like, how some LGBTQ plus youth end up, like, homeless and on the streets to have, like, the mayor of Portland's son be a part of that group somewhat because he's, like, kind of a trust fund kid that's, you know, slumming it, but, like, also because maybe, like, there is a rift that's going on between, like, him and his dad for his, like, oh, actually absolutely. being gay, you know what I mean? Um, I think, like, the, the, the cruelest thing is that River Phoenix has this beautiful, like, campfire scene where he, like, can very genuinely confesses his love to Scott. And Scott's like, you know I only do that shit for money. And then immediately afterwards, they're in um, Italy, and Scott is just every day with his girlfriend. Like, it's almost more than a fragile gay heart can bear. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> That yeah. it just like it speaks to me on like a guttural level. 
I feel like there is, um, it's almost like comical, like how loud they are. Um, <laughs> I don't know the movie, but I've been, but it reminded me of it. And I've been trying to find it where basically, yeah, it was like, it's this gay movie where these two guys, where this guy's in love with this other, with this like heteroflexible guy and then the heteroflexible guy, like, sees the girl and he, like, just falls for her and they're just, like, madly in love and he just, like, goes with her and, like, uh, it just, like, breaks his little gay heart kind of thing. And I think that in comparison, <laughs> at least Scott gave him some money to get home. <laughs> um, I, I think... <laughs> <laughs> at least he was decent enough to do that yeah i feel like it's one of the most relatable through lines of the story honestly uh it speaks to so much to my experience and i also want to go back to a little bit to something that amelia was talking about which is the fact that scott is like wealthy wealthy like, has parents in politics, they've got connections, daddy's got money. You know what I mean? Scott doesn't need to be doing this. Scott doesn't need to be out here breaking hearts and playing poor with the people who, like, are, like, really live that shit. But he is. And then when he goes back, he, like, rubs it in everybody's faces in kind of the rudest way. Right. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, he was just there to, like, make himself, like, really think, like, how much better he is than them, right? And, like, then he has all this money and he's like, like, you thought we were the same. Go fuck yourselves. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it's also, I think, probably one of my least favorite parts of Henry the Fourth as well is just how, like... Hal is like, I'm king now. Like, you you may have, like, taught me everything I know about how to survive on these streets, but, like, don't talk to me anymore. <laughs> That's very much <laughs> the vibe from the original source material as well. And it Fucking really... Bleeds. It really made me like Hal, like, a lot less when when it got to that scene. It just, it still continues to rub me the wrong way. I kind of wanted more uh, sort of th the clash between, like, his home life, like, you know, um, Mac Mansion America kind of thing, versus, like, the life that Scott was sort of, like, choosing to, um, choosing, choosing to be a part of. And... It just, like, it, it really freaking sucks because, like, at the end of the day, uh, Scott could have gone home anytime he wanted, but the person that he really had, like, a, a genuine connection with, like, they don't have that, you know? Mike doesn't really have that. And all that that was really worth to him was, what, like, a few thousand dollars? Yeah, it's... <laughs> it feels like... He sold out, but the reality of it was he had always 
been sold out. You know what I mean? Yeah. He, he always was this rich kid, and that was never going to change. And he always had this plan to, like, use his past as a means to garner sympathy and to, like, establish himself as a worthy successor to his father. Like, if I come back and I really, like, show that I've put in the effort to change, it's going to mean something because I used to, like, whore myself out to, like, like rich ladies <laughs> who need three or more men at a time because it takes her a while to get going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, with that being said... I yeah. think we're about ready to wrap this up. So let me ask you, Amelia, does this movie inspire you to pose in a series of well-composed sex portraits or does it make you want to like fall asleep uncontrollably? Um, I, definitely the sex portraits of, of a lady on fire. Um, <laughs> Bro wasn't here was- that week. I wasn't here for that episode. I'm so sorry. We can redo that episode anytime because we did that under the old format. So, you know. Oh, I'd love uh, to watch Portrait of a Lady on Fire with you all. I think NATO might kill me if I did it on a week that he's there. But hey, well, I, I, I love it. it. I liked it. But yeah, I, you know, it was just artsy enough. It was just Shakespeare enough and it was just 90s enough that like I I was into this movie so yeah definitely I would say NATO after watching this movie would you rather have your own private Idaho or would you rather stick to the regular old public one well I am the <laughs> regular old public ho so I kind of need a new one um yeah I, I really like the performances by River Phoenix and Keanu Reeves I thought they're phenomenal and you should watch this movie just for them alone um I think it's great yeah go watch it um as for me I really dug River Phoenix's performance in this I like the look and I would just like to remind you that this came out two years after Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure 1 so, if that doesn't show you Keanu Reeves' like acting chops, then what will? Well, that's what we think, but if you've seen this movie or end up watching it later and want to share with us your thoughts, feelings, and concerns, you can do that on Twitter at GayEcapod, that's G-A-Y-E-C-A-P-O-D. While you're at it, why not leave us a suggestion for a movie to watch in the future? We're always looking for new suggestions, and we can't wait to experience more movies with you. I'm Ro, reminding you what Admiral Akbar from Star Wars Episode 6 had to say on the subject of falling in love with straight boys. It's a trap! <laughs> Later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>